Fade Factor Impact, episode number 12. Hey everybody, welcome to Fade Factor Impact, where we hang out with today's top nonprofit thought leaders to get refueled, reconnected, and inspiration. So let's go. To me, leadership is seldom defined by the moments when everything is going well. It's how well you face the challenges and rise above them. Hello, Impact listeners, Jay Everline here, your host, and I am thrilled to present to you today our featured guest, Chelsea Elliott. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to be here and happy to talk to you today. Chelsea Elliott is the founder and executive director of Half Helen Foundation, a nonprofit organization that seeks to improve children's vision and hearing through innovative screenings, research, and advocacy. Chelsea is committed to ensuring that all schools offer routine, high-quality, and affordable screening services. CNN Hero and Austin Young Chamber Changemaker finalists are just a few awards she has received for her work. Chelsea is a top-notch thought leader who's doing work that matters and making an impact. So, Chelsea, there is a lot of noise in this world. Things get busy. Uh, my friend Stephen Covey says that we get caught up in the thick of thin things. And so we always like to start the show off with the reflection. And I know you've got a good one for us. So why don't you take it away? Yes. Yeah, so and thinking about the reflection, the only quote that really came to mind was from my hero, Helen Keller. And that is the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. It speaks to me first on um, a multitude of layers and just that it's not only there are worse things in life, but there, it's also worse to know that there are things out there that you can do something about and it's our mission to go out and make the difference. Really, really good. Take that in, folks. Uh, use that throughout your day as you reflect on who you are and, and, and what you want to do and what's most important. So, Chelsea, I want to dive right in here. We're hanging out at our local coffee shop here in Austin, Texas, um, and and we're just having a chat, kicking back, having a cup of coffee, and I want to learn a bit more about you personally. You have an amazing story, the steps you, you took to get to where you are today, and so share your story with us. Tell us more about Chelsea. Sure, I'd be happy to. So like you, I am a native Austinite. I was born and raised here in Austin, and I come from a very community service-oriented family. My mom started a charter school and then started the State Association of Charter Schools and now um, acts as the Chief Operations Officer for an international baccalaureate charter school in Southeast Austin. My brother and his wife are currently researching the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone and are the happiest they have ever been in their life. They love the passion and the work that they're doing um, in Sierra Leone. And so for me, service and giving back have always been huge values in our home. But about me uh, specifically, my first vision screening was at the age of four at my daycare. And afterwards, the nurse called my mom and said, something looks different. I think she needs to see an eye doctor. Three days and five doctors later, I was in the office of a 28-year-old retina surgeon named Dr. Jose Martinez, who coincidentally was only three years older than I am right now. Dr. Martinez took a quick look and accurately diagnosed me as having a rare monocular virus called Coats disease. A year later, a failed hearing test in kindergarten revealed that I have profound hearing loss in my right ear. 
my ENT speculated that the three bones in my ear had likely dissolved from an ear infection. So when I was 11, I chose Helen Keller as uh, to write a research or to research and write a report on. And afterwards, I boldly and rather narcissistically declared, "I am half blind and I am half deaf. I am half Helen." (laughs) (laughs) At 15, I had my left eye removed. I had known since childhood that the full removal was inevitable, but I wasn't prepared for the devastating emotional loss that came after the surgery. The pain of that loss broke my spirit. Um, I thought, what have I done? Overnight, I had gone from this wild, tenacious girl who took on everything to someone who needed nothing and just wanted to be left alone. After high school, I attended St. Edwards University here in Austin with the goal to produce education reform documentaries. A busy life on the backside of cameras seemed like a better fit for me personally. However, right before I graduated, a friend told me about this revolutionary new camera called the Spot Vision Screener and how it can test infants as young as six months old for six the most common vision problem, the first of its kind, and then added, it could have identified your vision problems much sooner. Her comment made me pause and think, my vision loss could have been prevented? As I said earlier in my reflection, Helen Keller said the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. So I used my college graduation money to start a nonprofit foundation that exists to improve children's vision and hearing through innovative screening, research, and advocacy. My childhood nickname, Half Helen, was the only name I considered when uh, filing all the paperwork. Chelsea, you know, you know, it's funny. It's it's hard that Half Helen really sticks, by the way, because <laughs> it's almost like I want to call you Half Helen, but I know that's not your name. It's just it's it's an awesome name. Um, and it I, is. I just love and you it. You're not the first. <laughs> well. Man, such an amazing story. I took so much away from that. You know, for folks who are tuning in, if you can't get inspired by Chelsea's story, I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, here's the thing. It may seem easy uh, to think that, well, you know, Chelsea, she had this thing and kind of sort of fell into this and whatever. Here's the deal. She could have given up she could have not done anything with that and instead she took the high road she dug deep and she wanted to do something about how to make a difference in the world and she took what to some and to many people uh, unfortunately could have been a stopping point and name your name your thing name your your challenge in your life um and many of us stop because we can't see the forest for the trees um yeah. but but man chelsea Amazing. I just I can't add anything more to that. It's just an awesome story. And thank you for your resilience and your passion and your your desire and and forward thinking. I mean, you're in you're finishing college. Most of us, including me, you know, would have taken all of our money and spent it on something else. Here you are investing (laughs) in a nonprofit organization. I mean, it's huge. Um, it's such amazing. And I could I could go all day with with that. But Mm -hmm. we, we have other things we want to talk about. So I, I want to keep going. Um, I'm fired up about about having you on. If you can't tell, 
I want to get into what we call our ultimate faith factor question. And let's go deeper. So, you know, we believe on the show and the, the whole premise of our show, the platform of our show is that there is a faith factor at work in every person that is clearly making a difference in the world. And boy, are you doing it? And it's the one factor we say that propels you to keep going in spite of the odds, in spite of the sex setbacks, it's your why. And so, mm-hmm. um, Chelsea, share with us what what's your faith factor? Well, when I when I started thinking about our interview, I actually reflected on that question for a long time and I asked my mentor last weekend and he said, "When you are bigger than your job, it's a career. When your job is bigger than you, it's a calling." Mm-hmm. I found my calling and my purpose. It's to ensure that no other child experiences uh, preventable sensory loss or goes through the the trauma and the difficulty that I did. And I just find myself uniquely qualified for this calling. And boy, are you, can you just do me a favor? Can you repeat what your mentor said again? I, that was so good. Oh, sure. My mentor told me that when you are bigger than your job, it's a career. When your job is bigger than you, it's a calling. Mm. And I've learned that I have a calling. I found my purpose. That is so good. So Chelsea, you've had a lot of success and you've reached this point where you're running this thriving um, nonprofit organization that's getting a lot of attention. And some people, and I, I mean, you shared your story. And so obviously we know things haven't always necessarily been easy, but some people can look at that and say it always has been. So as you started this nonprofit, you know, maybe the perception is that, man, you had all of this support, your family, things were easy, no challenges at all. Um, but I'm sure you've got some, some things that you could share. And so talk to us about what your valley moment is, that one valley moment that really sticks out uh, that was the most difficult for you. Uh, share that with us, and what were you feeling? What did you learn? What, is it, what did it teach you? I would say that it's been 10 years since I lost my eye, and I can still feel the heartache that consumed me when I looked into the hospital mirror. One of my favorite scriptures is, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the operative word in that scripture is through. The key to escaping all the valleys in life is to walk through them and to keep walking. I look in a mirror every morning and make the choice to accept that this is who I am and that it's okay. Another favorite quote of mine is that she could never go back and make some of the details pretty. All she could do was move forward and make the whole beautiful. So, I mean, here you are and and every day waking up, looking at yourself, saying, in spite of it, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing this great work. Was there was there a moment and and maybe you shared this a little bit that maybe you thought about giving up? I mean, and, and let's talk about after, you know, you started the nonprofit. Was there a moment of vulnerability there that that you could you'd mind sharing with us? Sure. I have to be completely honest. This is the, running this nonprofit is the most challenging thing I've ever done. But it's knowing or it's speaking to families and hearing how they had no idea their child had a vision problem. They didn't know why their child would trip over curbs or accidentally bump into door frames, just not realizing that it's a vision problem and how with one simple uh, click of our vision camera, 
we solved that problem for them. We changed not only that child's life, but their parent's life. And so every hurdle of not knowing what I'm doing, I have a background in communication from St. Edward's. And so trying to figure out how to run a business is completely foreign to me. Mm-hmm. But it's, the, it's knowing that we are making a true, tangible, heartfelt difference in the lives of the kids and the families we serve that makes the, the HR hurdle or the board hurdle or everything else I have to, I end up Googling to figure out what, what it means, mm-hmm. all of our business operations, worth it. Yeah, yeah. Um, our, our friend Google. Uh, <laughs> if, if you haven't started using Google yet, um, you've been under a rock. But uh, Yes. <laughs> So Chelsea, uh, man, you've you've dropped some valuable stuff, inspiring story. I want to transition a bit here. We focus a lot on leadership, and so I want to talk about impact leadership. Um, and you know, it, it is it is without question. Whenever I talk to successful leaders like yourself, there is often this defining moment along their leadership journey that really influenced their direction. And so, what was that moment for you? Oh, I would have to say that moment was when I learned about the spot vision screener, the camera that we used. I realized that I had spent four years in college studying the wrong camera. What's sad is that I actually fumed. I was angry for a couple of days after I learned about this, this device because I realized it could have saved my vision. Mm. It could have saved my vision. Um, tired of my fussing, my mom finally... She got angry and told me, go do something about it. So I did. I started this nonprofit and I actually have, I wear a bracelet every day that says she believed she could. So she did. And that is my constant, constant reminder to keep strong that this will all work out. She believed she could. So she did. Words of the wise. So, Chelsea, I just want to ask you this kind of off the, the leadership topic, but you know, you you likely done a lot of research. How how did you how did you miss this technology? Was it new? What how did that come about? It it was it hadn't been created when I was a child. Uh, it's only been around for a couple of years. It's very new to the market, and we're we're kind of we're spearheading the the campaign to make sure all kids are being screened with this tool. It's so much more effective and accurate than a nitrate test. It just wasn't there. Yeah. So you're on the cutting edge of, of this technology. And, and I understand that you're you're also doing some legislative work and lobbying, if you will, for the further use of this technology. How's that working out? It's a slow process. So our legislature, as you know, meets every other year for a few months. And it's a more of a, a question of making sure we have the research to prove that this device is as effective for children over the age of six, because it's still so new to the market, all of the market validation research focused primarily on um, children ages six months to five years, because one of the leading causes of blindness for children in that age bracket is a condition called amblyopia. And this camera is able to detect that condition. So most researchers and organizations have focused on um, really confirming it's ability to detect amblyopic risk, um, risk factors, but not necessarily looking at its effectiveness for children over the age of six, because the theory is that those children can read an eye chart. 
which is not always true, especially if their children are native Spanish speakers and mm-hmm. our charts are formatted for English speakers. Right. Right. All right. So um, I want to keep talking about leadership. We believe that effective leadership can be the difference between surviving and thriving, literally. And so as a nonprofit leader, what does effective leadership mean to you? And what would you say the distinctions are between uh, those you've observed that have been great and those that maybe not so great? I would say that a great leader is authentic. They are 100% true to themselves and what they believe in. They are vulnerable and they practice humility every day. As a nonprofit leader, I know firsthand that every organization experiences chaos. It's just a part of daily operations. However, great leaders are able to mold that chaos into opportunities. And that's where good leaders, that's where great leaders rise above and they face that challenge. To me, Leadership is seldom defined by the moments when everything is going well. It's how well you face the challenges and rise above them. Really good. Really good. So from your perspective, you know, I like to ask this question because oftentimes we we spend a lot of time talking about what you should do as a leader. What mm-hmm. are some don'ts of leadership from your perspective? And what what are the things you would you would advise leaders not to do? Uh, some of the things I... I want to share with you are some things I'm, I'm still kind of guilty of. <laughs> uh, That's all right. It's all, all a part of the growth, right? Yes, it is. Um, first and foremost, I would say don't be a martyr. And this is something I specifically struggle with because asking people for help is hard for me. Um, my pride whispers, as the leader, you should already know how to do X, Y, and Z. You shouldn't mm. have to ask. And it's, Having to, for make, it's having to accept that I don't know everything in front of me, but I have the ability to ask people for help. Yeah. I know it, it sounds silly, but it's something I still I work on every day. No, I, I want to be another voice um, when, when you uh, struggle with that, because I am confident you are not the only leader. Um, who is a martyr and and feels like they have to know all the answers. In fact, one of the things for me personally in my leadership journey that freed me, I actually, I'm not, my job as a leader is not to know everything. It's to rally those who are perhaps subject matter experts and bring all of those things together and basically do music. Right. And and uh, orchestrate that in a way that brings it all together. Um, and so I um, I will just be another voice. I'm sure your mentors uh, tell you this all the time. So why don't I just add to it and say, uh, join join us on this side. I promise you it will, it will be freeing as you are likely already uh, experiencing. But thank you for sharing that and for being vulnerable. Uh, around that area that, you know, what we should not do as leaders, because I think that's equally important as the things that we should get right. And, oh, is it okay if I add one more? Absolutely. I would say that don't step back. Um, It's so easy. Once things get challenging, you want to step back, assess, and uh, create a new plan. But as leaders, we have to lean into that discomfort because that's where the magic happens. That's where the impact grows. And so it's, it's hard. I, tell, I struggle with it every day as well, knowing that there's another obstacle, but it's whenever we lean into it and we break it down. 
that we grow as both humans and leaders. Yeah. Lean in, baby. Lean in. (laughs) So, Chelsea, there's a ton of research as we just continue on this leadership topic about operating in our area of strength and to get the greatest result. And so we call this on Faith Factor your genius talent. And and I, I, I mean that unabashedly. It's your genius talent, the thing that you are best at, you are, it comes natural. And so I want to know, uh, what's your genius talent? Oh, gosh. Um, at first, I wouldn't say I have one. <laughs> <laughs> you do today. <laughs> but um, if, oh, goodness, probably my... I'm an evangelist at my core. My strength lies in my ability to energize others to take action in the world or to see the real value of the importance of preventive care. And I'm a, it's sad to say, but our country is so focused on treating. We want to treat a problem, but we don't want to prevent it. Yeah. And so it's my job is to let people know why you need to care about preventing a problem. Yeah, well, um, I, I don't know that I've ever gotten that one on the show before, an evangelist, <laughs> but I like the context. I like the wrapping of that, and I think you're doing it. I think you're doing it. I would say that absolutely it's a genius talent. So pin it today. That is that is it. You are, you are a genius in that regard. <laughs> So I want to I want to take a, a slight change in direction and and talk about community work and strategic partnerships. What's the one big thing that you're working on right now that most excites you? Oh, okay. So we've actually got two major things. Um, and regarding your question about strategic partnerships, I think it's most important for nonprofit leaders to understand that our organizations can no longer function in silos. I mean, the way that we, the way of the future is collaboration. And so we all need to work together and collaboratively for the greater good of those we serve. Um, for example, if I only identified a problem, if our screeners only told a child that they have a vision problem, but we didn't offer a solution, then we're not really doing a full service to that child or their parent. Mm-hmm. So we have partnered with an organization called Kids Vision for Life Central Texas, and it's a a mobile uh, eye exam and glasses van that provides children that are screened through Half Helen free access to eye doctors and corrective wear, the glasses. To me, that's a strategic partnership that helps kids and families. Yeah, Chelsea, you must have read my notes um, because I, I basically don't have to say anything. I mean, this is huge. I mean, exactly what you just said, and I, I won't repeat it completely, but I kind of sort of will just to make sure people get the point. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to have the full menu of services, but you better believe that you should find out who in your community can partner with you to augment and supplement what it is that you're doing ultimately to extend your reach if you really want to have an impact in the world and touch as many people as you possibly can in your circle of influence you can't do that alone think very very hard about who you're going to partner with strategically who complements the services that you provide and how can you do that in a way that makes a difference and so thank you so much for sharing that so what are what are the big things you're working on you said there were two things um yes um, so in addition to our partnership, we have, we're actually working on um, 
opportunities to expand our program beyond Austin into hopefully serving schools in the San Antonio area this fall and perhaps Houston next year. So it's the idea of that knowing that more children are going to get the best preventive vision care available to them that like really gets me pumped up and going. Yeah, well, I call it so. Let's uh, let's <laughs> let's go. I mean, so you you you've been on the road. You've been to Hawaii. I mean, is that isn't that where you first launched uh, there in Hawaii? Yeah, So we actually launched here in Austin in okay. uh, 2013, but then we formally launched our Maui 528 pilot in on the island of actually in Maui County, Hawaii. So that was a uh, a unique detour. It was an opportunity for us to demonstrate how new technology could revive a state or revive a screening program in which the state has actually set into motion to repeal the law requiring school-based screening services. And so when we showed up, the motion, uh, the repeal had gone through, it was in committee, and I simply said, I want just give me an opportunity to show you how new technology can serve all of these all 21,119 kids in Maui County with one camera and they're like that's not possible that's crazy but why not we'll give you a shot and they did so we we were there for a year and a half and we served over 6,000 children identifying over 600 with vision problems about 10% huge huge i mean what a difference uh, so, mm-hmm. so let me let me just kind of off the back end of that. You talked about technology, and so how are you currently? In addition to uh, the new technology for screening, how are you leveraging technology to accomplish your goals and 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 achieve what it is you're setting out to do? What what other things are you doing? Oh, sure. So we are working on a software application that will allow us to streamline our workflow and effectively scale our model so that we can serve more children statewide and then nationally. Strong data is really the main driver to implement policy change with the goal to strengthen vision screening laws in both Texas and across the country. There are research institutions that would be highly interested in the data we're collecting because uh, we are one of the few organizations that are both testing children with the standard eye chart and this new photo screen technology. We're learning so much more about those kids, their, the health of their vision, and a fraction of the time that an eye chart test will tell you they, they're fine or something's wrong, mm-hmm. but without that, type, that, without that degree of definitive knowledge. And so we're hoping that our software system will help with, uh, help with operational sustainability one of our long-term goals. Love it, love it. So Chelsea, fast forward to January 2018. What does success look like for you? Oh, success is when children across the state of Texas are receiving high-quality annual vision screenings as well as the appropriate follow-up care. And when I say children, I mean all children. Right now, the state only requires that half half of the kids in public schools be screened. And that's ridiculous. We should, with, with new technology, we can screen them all in a fraction of the time and provide a better service. Love that. So, Chelsea, yeah. before I let you go, there's some final questions I want to ask you. This is sort of like rapid fire, but um, you've, you've dropped so many value bombs. You take as much time as you need. <laughs> so name two of the top skills you believe are needed to be successful as a nonprofit leader that were perhaps not as critically uh, important in the past? 
this was a oh that's a challenging question um i don't think i've been a leader long enough <laughs> to answer that question <laughs> but leaders today have got to know how to form creative and strategic alliances and partnerships because it's no i mean Health, for example, is not a siloed entity. When you fix one problem, it doesn't mean you fix them all. We need to work together and provide a holistic care approach to kids. And then I would say leaders today have to know how to take their organizations to scale. If we're going to make an impact, we've got to know how to, got to, know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, had to, I actually had to Google scale when I first started Half Helen because I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> That's part of the job. It's an everyday learning curve, and I love it. Share one or two tactics you use to attract others with great talent to be a part of what you're doing. Sure. I mean, I have been blessed to have great people in my life and people that, who have been involved with Half Helen, but I think it's my passion. When I talk about the work I do, it brings them to the table. You have to believe with your whole heart that what you're doing, you have to believe with your whole heart what you're doing and why you're doing it part of being authentic. Share one book you've read that has had a lasting impact on the way you approach your work. Sure. Um, my, it's actually where I referenced the evan, um, evangelism. It's called The Human Fabric by Bajoy Goswami. And it's helped me understand and appreciate my strengths. So folks, no worry if you didn't catch that. It'll be on the show notes page. Just head over to faithfactorimpact.com and uh, find Chelsea's link, and you'll be able to see the name of that book on uh, the show notes page there. Chelsea, before I let you go, share one action our listeners can take in the next two weeks to pursue their effort towards making an impact in their community. Sure. I would say do something. Helen Keller said, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Go and pick something that inspires you and donate either your time or your talent to it. And finally, where can we find out more about you and your work? I would love for all the listeners to go check out our Facebook page, Half Helen Foundation, or they can check out our brand new website, www.halfhelen.org. Wonderful. So folks, my mentor Dave Ramsey says the difference between the you now and the you later is the people you meet and the books you read. And you've been listening to Chelsea Elliott and Jay Everline. Thank you for joining us, Chelsea, on the show today and for making a difference in your community. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm happy to help. Head over to faithfactor.com and access the show notes page for this interview and other episodes. And until next time, let's go make an impact.